0: Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice but is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things and endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, What is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now I have become a man. I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain. These three things, and the greatest of these is love.
1: This thing has a mind of its own. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all hearts who hear be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So what I'm wondering is where the heck is the wedding couple? Where are the attendants and all those flowers that are usually strewn about? Where's that unity candle? I don't see them. We heard that scripture, and that's the one we usually only hear at weddings, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's no sign of a wedding, except for a pastor, and I'm even the wrong one. Well, today we're going to look at the scripture a little bit differently. Because, surprise, Paul did not write his letter to the, to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, um, with the intention of it being about or for a wedding. See, he was writing to this church that was having trouble. And he was actually kind of ticked off. Now, I know um, Pastor Scott talked a little bit about Paul not too long ago. um, But let's, let's go back and think for a minute, just a quick review of who Paul was. Paul was a super zealous Jew. He was so jealous that he was given the responsibility to search out and kill the Christians. He had a very, very transforming moment when he was on his way to Damascus, yet another town, to hunt down more Christians. And suddenly he became a Christian. And he learned all about the faith of the disciples and and the Christians in the area. And he became a super Christian. He went out all over the Mediterranean area, all around, building churches, converting people. Paul was a missionary. Now, he came to Corinth. And Corinth was a very, very busy city in Greece. It was at a place where the peninsula, the Greek peninsula narrows. So you could, um, they actually, instead of taking the boats, the ships all the way around, the merchants would get them to the Isthmus at Corinth and they would use logs and they would haul the boats out of the water and roll them across the logs and get them to the other side. And that saved them a lot of time going around the peninsula so they could get their goods to market faster. So Corinth, because of this, had lots of people from all over the area. And so they had a lot of cultural influences from all the different areas, including religion and ideas and dress all kinds of things now just prior to this passage that we read which was the whole of chapter 13 paul is writing to the people of the corinthian church he's celebrating the wonderful gifts that god has given to them and you're probably some of you are probably familiar with this passage he talks about how they all work together as a body of christ The church in Corinth needed to be reminded of this because some people were boasting about the gifts they had, their gifts and abilities, and they were putting down others who didn't have the same ones. There were fights in that church about who was the greatest. And Paul was having none of this. There was no place for this in the church. So now he was taking his message one step further and giving them all, and us as well, the more excellent way, the way of love. So I want you to stop for a minute and think of someone you love and someone who loves you. It can be a relationship that you're in now or one in the past. It could be a parent, a friend, a child, a spouse, a sweetheart. Now, ask yourself, how do you know that this person loves you? My guess that it's because they do loving things. They pay attention. They take care of you. They let you take care of them. Because love is more about actions, more about what you or someone does. It's a verb. It has to be acted out. So to show your love, you must choose actions that convey love, right? True love doesn't hurt or abuse others' bodies or feelings or minds trust true love builds up and helps and encourages and defends it has no deceit in it we know if someone loves us but what by what they do and by what they don't do much more than we know by what they say if a parent tells a child i love you but ignores them and looks at the cell phone whenever they're together That's not showing love. If your spouse tells you, I love you, but never takes an interest in your ideas or your feelings or your concerns or your experience, that spouse is not being loving. If a congregation says it's living Christ's love, but never reaches beyond itself into the wider community and into the world, It's not living Christ's love. As a people of faith, love is what we do. Now, I know here in Arapaho, we do a lot. And we do a lot of loving things. But it's important to remind ourselves why and how. The real point of today's scripture text is that love Is an action. The the Christians Paul is telling the Christians of Corinth that their common life is a matter of choosing to act in loving ways. He tells them that none of their problems would be could be straightened out until they begin to show some love for each other until they did some loving things for each other and they could very well begin with affirming the gifts and abilities each other, ha- each other person has. This type of love, the Greeks call it agape. You've heard that word, many of you. It's working for the well-being of others because God loves them. As a church, this kind of love is important. In everything we do, it builds up our life together. It brings patience and it eradicates envy and arrogance. It gives us the strength to forgive each other. If we can love one another with agape love, then we are enabled to reach out and love others as well to love people who are in need of shelter from the heat or the cold to love those who are vulnerable to the covid virus and so we wear our masks for protection to protect them people who struggle to pay their rent or who or buy food people who suffer from addiction people who speak another language for their first language, I so appreciate that we were learning to speak in a variety of ways and to speak of love that way with our children today. People who flee from war and danger, who run for their lives for safety. We are able then to reach out and love those who aren't treated with justice or fairness or dignity doing loves what the church is about now this will make sense in a minute tom and i have enjoyed the harry Potter potter books and movies over the last number of years we've been fortunate enough even to visit universal studios theme parks and to explore Hogsmeade and Hogwarts and Diagon Alley, the settings in which the book takes place, the main settings. One of the things about the Harry Potter series that I appreciate are the great examples of the loving choices and actions that are made by some of the characters, especially by Harry. It seems to me that author J.K. Rowling was reading Paul's letters when she wrote the books. She uses his themes and values throughout them. Now, I have a confession. I didn't come up with these parallels on my own. I came across them in a preaching journal. And how could I not take advantage of this idea when I came across it. I mean, goodness, it's Harry Potter. There's wisdom in these books. Uh, There's wisdom about friendship and adversity, about success and leadership and honesty and courage and loyalty and love and ethics. The real magic in these books is not to be found in the wizardry. It's in the ways that love is lived there. Now, I know there's been some controversy in the church about the wizardry in these books, and people don't want children to read them because of all the magical stuff. But, you know, the debate over supernatural power in the church is not a new one. One of the reasons Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians was a claim by some in the church that they had supernatural gifts, and that gave them special status. Now, Paul is thankful that these people recognize their gifts, but he goes on to assert that they are manifestations of the Spirit and that they are to be used for the common good, not to rise, raise someone above someone else. It's kind of the same in Harry Potter's world. The pursuit and acquisition of magical powers and using them for personal gain is a very real temptation. Those who succumb to it put everyone in danger. While Harry is tempted to do so many times, he remembers the words of his mentor, Albus Dumbledore, who has told him that love is the greatest power in the world. Dumbledore sounds a lot like Paul here. You see, when Harry was a baby, we need a little backstory here. When Harry was a baby, he was saved from being killed by the evil Voldemort, or he shall not be named. Voldemort killed his parents, but one, his mother died when she threw herself in front of her baby Harry, sacrificing her life so that he would live. He was left with a scar on his forehead, which bears his mother's legacy in his heart. And at times when he most needs that legacy, his scar burns. Harry is continually putting himself in danger to save his friends. My microphone disappeared. Oh, there it is. Okay. He faced malevolent evil with the power of sacrificial love himself. Both Paul and Rowling insist that love is the greatest of all possible virtues, that it's the culmination of all the others. Faith, hope, courage, ethics, truth, friendship, and justice all have their foundation in sacrificial, unconditional love. When such love is embraced, it shapes all that we're able to do. Such love never ends. It will be the one thing that is left when all else is gone. God's love for us and God's love for this world and our love for God and each other and the same world is never ending. Now, In one story, when Harry sets out on an after-hours exploration of the castle that he lives in, he comes across the mirror of Erised. Looking into it, he sees the smiling faces of his long-dead parents. Even though he's alone in the room, he can barely take himself away from the mirror, but is forced to when he almost gets caught out after hours. The next night, he brings his friend Ron, and Ron looks into the mirror, and he doesn't see his parents; he sees himself wearing the badge of Hogwarts head boy and holding up the Quidditch cup. Two things to which he aspired. Quidditch, for those non-Potter people, is a um, a game that they play, flying through the air and Catching and throwing, and anyway, it was a big game. The third night, Harry goes back by himself, but there he encounters Professor Dumbledore, who warns him about the mirror. You see, its power is desire, which its name, Eric said, is desire spelled backwards, because it kind of turns us around. In it, people see the deepest desire of their hearts. For Harry, it was to know his family. For Ron, it was achievement and recognition, being one of many children. A truly happy person looks in the mirror and sees themselves as they truly are. The mirror is dangerous, though, because people have wasted away staring at it, consumed by their desires. Paul writes, for now we see in a mirror dimly. For now we are caught up in the pursuit of the desires of our hearts, looking everywhere for security and adoration and achievement, belonging and satisfaction. But these are not found in a mirror. They're not found in magic and they're not found in spiritual gifts. They're not found in boardrooms or pulpits or anywhere else. Love is what vanquishes selfish desire. In the end, it's love that enables us to see ourselves and others as God sees us all. This is the witness of our scriptures. This is what the Christian faith is. Believing that the love of God as witnessed in Jesus Christ and expressed through the body of Christ is the most powerful thing in the universe. It brings life and hope. It conquers hatred. It it transforms our hearts and our lives. It can transform injustice into justice, fear into hope, scarcity into abundance a violent world into a peaceful one love is more powerful than any force violence intimidation or even death this is the power available to us as we choose to always and everywhere love it is a gift of god whose love will never let us go and for this gift We give our thanks and our
0: praise. Amen.